now stand for the reading of God's Word. Our passage is Acts chapter 4, beginning at verse 23. In your pew Bible, it's page 968. In your red pew Bible, page 968. If you want to hunt one of those up, turn to Acts chapter 4, beginning at verse 23. Again, page 968 in your pew Bible. We'd like for everybody to be able to see the passage as it's being preached. Acts 4, beginning at verse 23. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up, and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that they were, there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and bought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Thank you, Lydia. Would you pray with me once more as we come to God's Word? Let's pray together. <clears throat> Father, we come and we still our hearts before you and your Word. And Lord, we pray that you would pour out your spirit upon us, much in the same way that we have seen in this passage, that you would renew us through the power of your spirit, that you would awaken our hearts, that you would open our eyes to see the truth of who you are, to see the truth of who we now are in Jesus. Lord, would you come and speak into our hearts and bring new life into your people. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So we have been uh, in our vision series where we're talking about uh, our vision as a church, and we've been discussing how important it is to have vision. Vision is a picture of the end. It's a picture of where you're going, and it's critical to have that because it becomes something that guides everything that you do. It carries you forward. To know where you're headed is absolutely critical in almost in so many different things of life. You know, it's, 
It's critical that if a team wants to win a national championship, that they have a vision for that championship, even from the beginning. And even January of that very year, they're running stadium steps with the end picture of winning the national championship. I had to say something, okay? Yeah, we can applaud and praise the Lord here. But we see that in so many areas of life. The crowd's becoming unruly here. So many areas of life, like it's, it's vital to have a vision because whatever your vision is, that's going to compel all that you do. And so we've been discussing our vision as a church. Our vision is to be a church that is seeking the renewal of all things in Day County and all the places where we live, work, and play through Jesus. And at the heart of that is this fundamental belief that God is at work renewing all things. That's a huge vision. It's actually the vision of the Bible. Not that the end game is for us to be beamed up to heaven, but that actually at the return of Jesus, heaven will come down to the earth. And that Jesus will make all things new. Direct quote from the book of Revelation. That is a huge kind of hope. Where Jesus says, I'm going to renew everything in this world. I'm going to transform it so that it becomes saturated with the kingdom of God. And so that all things literally includes all things. And carries us out with great hope knowing that God is at work everywhere that we go. That is a huge implication of this vision. That we together as a church believe that whenever we leave here on a Sunday morning and we go out into our regular ordinary lives, that God is at work there. Because everywhere we go is the place of God's renewal. Because all of that belongs to Him. Your, your neighborhoods, your schools, your workplace, all of those things. That, that's God's. He owns it. And one day, Jesus will take possession of it. And even now, he is at work bringing renewal in all of those places. So it gives us this huge kind of uh, uh, compelling energy that as we walk out of here, God is at work in our lives. He's at work everywhere. As you go to work tomorrow, as you go to school, as you go to the, the ball field, wherever you're carried, we should go with this confidence that God is here, God is at work, and God wants to bring renewal to this place. It creates a tremendous energy. You know, it's very easy to believe, to kind of separate our lives out and to say, okay, well, our spiritual life is something that takes place on Sunday morning. You know, spiritual life is like the church stuff. You know, that's the one hour on Sunday or that's whenever I'm doing religious things. That's spiritual life. Within the whole rest of my life, that's secular life. And those don't really overlap. And we might not ever say that, but it's so easy to live our lives in that way, especially in the Bible Belt, to leave God at church on Sunday and then go out and to have a whole separate life. But you see, this vision reminds us, no, no, it's all God's world, and He's at work everywhere that we go. And so we come together on a Sunday morning to be equipped as His people to go out into the mission field as missionaries. We're all missionaries, and your mission field is everywhere you go after you leave these doors. So you see that vision compels us out in that way. There's another thing that vision does. It gives us an incredible love and care 
for the flourishing of our community, for everywhere that we go. It, it causes us to say, hey, we care as a church about the schools in this community because we believe God's renewing that. We care about that. We care about businesses here. We care about where you work. We care about the, the leadership of this community, the, the city and the, the county government. Like We care about those things as a church. We're called to because God is renewing all things. We care about families in this community, even outside of our body. We care about those who are vulnerable, those who are stuck in poverty. We care about children. We care about the flourishing of this community. You see, all of that flows from this vision that God is renewing all things through Jesus. So that is vital as a church. So that's what we've been talking about in this series. But one of the things that we've been specifically focusing on is that we cannot see renewal out there. We cannot see renewal come through us into the world unless first we are being renewed as His people. We must be renewed in order to be agents of renewal in the world. And we see that pattern throughout Scripture. That's what we've been studying in this series. How God comes to renew His people over and over and over. So we're going to see a passage of that this morning in the book of Acts where God comes and powerfully renews his people, transforming them in order that they might have a renewing impact on their world. So we're, we're looking at this passage in the book of Acts. Again, it's Acts chapter 4, beginning at verse um, 23. Now let me give you a little background to where we're coming in here, because we're kind of stepping into the middle of a story that's happening here. If you're familiar at all with the Bible, you would know that the book of Acts is all about this recounting of the birth and the expansion of the early church. The book of Acts, we're watching the church be born on the day at Pentecost when God pours out His Spirit, and the church is growing and it's moving out into the world as it's carried by God's people and by the apostles. And they're going and they're preaching and they're reaching people and the church is growing. And that is the book of Acts. Now where we come in this particular point, something has just happened. Peter and John were in the temple courts and they come upon a crippled beggar that everyone knew. This person had been there forever. Um, they would sit there day after day and beg for money. It was their way of just sustaining life. They couldn't work. They were crippled. And so Peter and John are walking by, and he calls out to them, and they stop. They probably knew him. But they stop. They look at him. And Peter says something pretty powerful. He says, silver or gold I do not have, but what I have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ, stand up and walk. And in that moment, he is healed. And he begins to jump up and like run around. I mean, you can imagine what your, what your reaction would be if you'd been crippled all of your life and all of a sudden you're restored to full health. Now, when they see this, everyone who's gathered there in the temple courts for worship, they see this guy that they knew. They knew he was crippled. And they see him now leaping and running around. All of a sudden, this crowd rushes in. Because they're like, whoa, something big just happened. And they kind of rush in on Peter and John, thinking somehow these guys have got special powers. And Peter's like, hey, let me get this straight right off the bat. We're just men. 
This man's been healed in the name of Jesus Christ, and then he preaches the gospel. See, the healing was all about setting up the preaching of the gospel, and all these people come to Christ in that moment. Well, because of that, the jealousy is stirred up in the religious leaders of the Jews. The, the elders and the chief priests, and they're all, they see this happening, and their, their jealousy is stirred, and they're alarmed. People are leaving to follow Jesus, and so they arrest Peter and John. They throw them in prison, and they begin questioning them. And then after many threats and questions, they release them the next day. And Peter and John go back to the church that was gathered together. They were probably together and they were praying for them. And they come in and they give a report. Let's tell you what just happened. And that's where we come in on this passage. They have just come back and they have told about all the persecutions that they've experienced. All the opportunities they've had to preach the gospel because of that. And then in our passage, the church says, we know what to do here. Let's pray. Let's pray. Now, this isn't any normal prayer meeting here, right? This isn't one where you spend, you know, an hour doing prayer requests and five minutes praying. They are just coming before God with joy and with open hearts. Now, I want us to see this prayer here because it's, it's a prayer that, I mean, what a window, what an opportunity that we get to look into the prayers of the early church, we get to see, okay, what were their prayers like and how might those be a little bit different than our prayers? So I want us to look at their prayer here and then we're going to see what happens in response to their prayer. But first, look at their prayer and what do we notice about their prayer? And I want us to see two things. There's two elements to this prayer. One is worship and the next is a request, a petition. And in worship, the first part of the prayer is about worship. And I want you to notice when they worship God, they're worshiping Him over one feature of his character. That is who he is. There's something about who he is that's capturing their hearts that they are focusing on in prayer. And that characteristic of God is his sovereignty. Now that's a big kind of religious churchy word. Might be the first time you've heard it. But scripture uses this description of God constantly in scripture. That God is sovereign. To be sovereign means you are in control. It means you have all power. And that becomes a focus of their worship in this prayer. Let's look again at what they say here. Uh, verse 24, they begin to address God in prayer. And here's how they start out. Sovereign Lord. Again, they're, they're focusing on that aspect of who He is. God, you are in control of all things. And they're delighting in this. And then they go into the fact that He has made everything. You made heaven and earth and the sea and everything in them. This acknowledgement that everything that we see, everywhere that we go, God, it's yours and you've made it. And if God has made it, he owns it and he controls it. But then they jump down in verse 27 and they begin to recount the things that happened to Jesus and the ways that he was persecuted and that he was condemned by the authorities and how he was ultimately Crucified. Now that would be an important thing to focus on because they've just experienced that. They've just shared in those sufferings of Jesus. And so they're remembering in that moment, oh, what we just went through. You know, these earthly powers that seem to have control over us and they're persecuting us. Oh, Jesus, that was you too. 
But look at what they say about it. In verse 27, they talk about how Herod, who was the king of the Jews at the time, and Pontius Pilate, that they conspired together with all the people to condemn Jesus. But look at what they say in verse 28. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. You see what they're acknowledging there in prayer? Yeah, those, those people in power, those people that look like they're in control in the world, those people that, that are our enemies, that are after us, that are persecuting us in just the way that they did Jesus, the reality is you're in control of everything that they did. See, that's what they say here. That everything Pontius Pilate and Herod did was according to God's plan. It was according to his will. It was according to his power. And that he had decided all of that would happen. And in the exact way that it happened. Before any of it happened. They're acknowledging God you are sovereign. And in control over everything that happens. Now you understand that is an incredible encouragement when you're facing affliction in your life. You can be tempting whenever you face something hard in your life or you're being opposed or you're going through some struggle or you're enduring some sickness in your life. It can be tempting to say, you know, God wouldn't do any of this. None of this would be from God. He doesn't do these kind of things. I've had those conversations with many people. And that would seem at the, at the, the outset that, oh, that, that, that kind of protects God from, from bringing anything hard into our life. But the reality is, when you understand that everything that comes into our life is by His plan, under His control, and for the ultimate end of glorifying Himself and for our good and flourishing, when you know that about everything that you're facing, it's an incredible encouragement. It's incredible encouragement. It was for them. You know, we're being threatened. We're being hunted. We're being persecuted. But Lord, we know this is all your plan. And this is all for your glory. So we see that worship is a primary feature of their prayer. But then they move in verse uh, 29 into petition, into request. Now, I want you to just notice what they request here. And I want you to compare it to our prayers. You know, I think if we were to go and examine our prayers, what do the majority of our prayers look like? I think most of them look like petition. I think probably not a lot of our prayer is spent in worship and enjoying God. Now, God wants us to ask for things. He invites us to ask. He wants us to ask. But the reality is that so often what we ask is about us. So often what we ask is about our comfort and our safety and our own personal healing. Now, those aren't bad to pray for, but the problem is that they're, they're probably about 95% of what we pray for. Now, I'd, I'd encourage you to go think about that today. You know, take some time and say, do I really pray that much just about my own personal safety and comfort? But did you notice what they pray here? You know, they, they would have every right to say, God, protect us from these people that are trying to hunt us down, but they don't pray for safety. In fact, you'd be hard-pressed to find one prayer in the New Testament about safety. They don't pray about safety. What do they pray for? God, give us boldness to proclaim your word. Whoa. Give us boldness 
Lord, whatever you do, I'm not all that worried about what happens to me, but no, no, no matter what happens, because I trust you, you got my good, you're going to take care of me, but no matter what comes, God, would you give me boldness and power to declare your gospel? You know what that's called? That's called kingdom-centered prayer. Kingdom-centered. It's centered on God's glory. It's centered on His purposes. And listen, those prayers awaken the heart of God. They're His passion. When we pray according to His glory and His kingdom, it just draws His heart to His people. Now look at the response to this prayer. They say, God, give us boldness. Move us out. Extend your kingdom. And look at the response in verse 31. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. Now, just imagine this for a minute. You know, I I would love to be in a prayer meeting like this, right? It's never happened to me in a prayer meeting. But, you know, we're gathered here, and we're in a prayer meeting, and we're just, you know, we're really praying. I mean, sometimes you got to pray in order to really pray. Have you ever experienced that? You know, sometimes you pray, and your mind's drifting or whatever. But sometimes after you've been praying a little while, you start really praying. Your heart's engaged. You're wanting it. You're depending. You're pleading. And now that was happening here, and then all of a sudden, the place starts shaking. Now, why does it shake? You'll see this over and over in Scripture. Whenever God's presence comes to a place in intensity. You know, God's everywhere. But sometimes His presence will become more uh, concentrated and intensified. And whenever that happens, you know, the, the, the physical experience is the shaking of a place. This happens for Isaiah whenever he goes into the heavenly throne room in Isaiah 6. And he comes in there and his vision of the heavenly throne room, the whole place is shaking. Why is it shaking? Things shake whenever they're buckling under weight. You see, God's glory is His weight. It's His value. It's His worth. And whenever God's presence comes to a place, literally the place is shaking. That's what's happening here. God's presence is just invading their midst in a powerful way. And then we're told they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Now that's a phrase that you see all over the place in the New Testament. You see it all over the place in Acts 2. Now, what does that mean? Now, just really brief, it's really clear to know a few things right off the bat. It's very important. One is to know that whenever someone repents and believes in Jesus, they are marked in that moment with the Holy Spirit. That's not something that happens later. It happens at the moment that you repent and believe in Jesus. We receive the Holy Spirit in that moment. He comes into your life. He lives in our heart, and through His physical presence within us, we have physical union with Christ. So that happens for every believer. Now, you might not be aware of that. If you're a believer, you might not be aware of the Holy Spirit. You might not have uh, sensed His presence. You might not even know about Him. But if you are in union with Christ, the Holy Spirit dwells within you. But Scripture will often talk about this filling of the Holy Spirit. Now, it's not talking like, you know, the way you'd fill a jar. Now, i got two ounces of Holy Spirit, so let's turn that pitcher up and pour more in there. No, that's not what we're talking about here. It's talking about the influence of the Holy Spirit over your life. To be filled with the Holy Spirit means He is influencing you. His power, His presence, His work is overtaking you in the moment. He is the normal work of the Holy Spirit 
is intensified in your life in that moment. That's what, may, that's what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And what does the Holy Spirit do? He always points us to Jesus. It's like his, his, his desire is to exalt Jesus. So he makes Jesus more real to our hearts. He, makes, he brings conviction of sin. He brings assurance of salvation. He gives boldness and the love of God. He makes the love of God felt and real to the heart. He bears his fruit in our life. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, and self-control. Those are the things that he breathes into the life of a believer. He awakens our hearts. He makes the reality of God more real to the heart. So when we are filled with the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is bringing the intensity of His work to our heart. And that's what's happening in this moment. They are being renewed. We're talking about renewal, which is a synonym with revival or revitalization or restoration. Those are all terms that are used throughout the Bible for this work of God that brings us up out of our deadness. Because as believers, we're always drifting. We're always drifting from God. We're always getting cold. We're always getting allergic to God. We're always saying, you know, I don't want God's way. I want my way because we still got the flesh in us. And that's what the flesh does. But Holy Spirit comes and renews and awakens us. And so we're in need of that constant renewal. But this is that picture of the outpouring of Holy Spirit. Now, where he moves next in verse 32 is to describe what that renewal looks like in the church. Now, Acts does this a number of times, and this is one of those spots where he pulls back the curtain and allows us to peer in on the early church and to see a vivid picture. What happens in a church, in a people, when God brings renewal? What happens when Holy Spirit is poured out with great intensity and power? And here's our picture. Now, what's interesting... We're going to look at these, these verses here. I just want you to notice here. Notice how much is a description of their economic life. It's stunning. Notice how much of this description about the renewed church is about how their money is impacted in their life. Now, I just got to take a moment to say, you know, we say this all the time, right? We talk about money a lot as a church, not because we want your money. We don't want your money. We don't need your money. Jesus doesn't need your money. But Jesus knows our hearts are connected to our money, always. And so if you see impact happening in someone's financial life, you can be certain there is true impact and change happening in their life. It's like the barometer. And we see that here. Now look at this description. All the believers were one in heart and mind. Now the picture here is in their connection with one another. I mean, they weren't just, you know, when they got together, a little chit-chat, how you been, you know, a little small talk here and there, Now see you next Sunday. That was not what was happening. They were one. Their lives were woven together. You can be so easy to come into church and kind of be at arm's length, you know. I'm going to put on the mask, you know. How you been? Everything's great. How you been? Everything's great. See you later. You know, it wasn't that. They were opening their lives to each other. They knew one another's struggles. They were weeping with those who were weeping. They were rejoicing with those who were rejoicing. They weren't private. Man, we're so private. I'm private. It's in my heart. 
how I just want to kind of hold my cards close to the vest. But we see in renewal, this deepening of connection happens in the body of Christ. We're, we're spending and doing life together. We're opening our hearts. We're being known by each other. There was deep love and connection happening in the church. That's a picture of renewal. But he goes on. No one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but they shared everything they had. What? Now we're getting uncomfortable. This, this is so un-American. I just got to say it right off the bat. I love America. I'm not beating up America. This is very un-American. This is very countercultural for us. Because what do we like to emphasize in our culture? My stuff, my rights, my property. You know what happens whenever Holy Spirit comes? It says, this isn't mine. This is God's. You need something? It's yours. They were sharing their lives. They did not see their stuff as their own. Look at verse 34. There were no needy persons among them. You know, this is a great rule for us that we ought to say, that every church ought to say, no one in our body is going to be poor. So we're going to do whatever we can to make sure one another's needs are being met. High priority. There were no needy persons among them, for from time to time, now this is the real stunner to me, from time to time, those who owned lands or houses sold them brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet and it was distributed to anyone as he had need. These crazy people were liquidating their assets. You never do that. I mean, sure, give off the interest, but you don't get rid of your stuff. Nobody told them that. They didn't watch Dave Ramsey. I like Dave Ramsey, but Dave Ramsey will not tell you to do this. They're reckless. They would sell their stuff, and man, do we love our stuff. They would sell their stuff, and they didn't even retain control over the giving. What a stunner. They would take it and lay it at the apostles' feet, hand it over. Say, you know who's in need. You know who needs this. It's not mine. It's ours. Now, some people have looked at this, and they've said, oh, is this socialism? What's going on here? No, they were not. Here's the point. They were not, com they were not made to do this. They sold their stuff because they knew it wasn't really their stuff. It had been entrusted to them by God. It belonged to Him. But nobody, the apostles weren't saying, okay, here's what everybody's got to do. Everybody's going to go sell your stuff and put it in a common pot. That's not what was happening. They were moved by love. That's what was happening. That, friends, is renewal. What a powerful picture of what happens when Holy Spirit comes upon a people. That's what renewal looks like. You see, the work of the Holy Spirit in renewal is to beautify the church. It's to make the church strong and bold and connected to each other. To free the church from the things of this world. To be open-handed and say, I don't care what happens. Together, we're on mission. And we're one. And we're going to love each other. And then we're going to move out of that and love our community. And that 
brings renewal to the world. That's a powerful, world-transforming kind of church. So let's apply this. Let's bring it home a little bit to our lives. Let's, let's try to get this into our life. And so just a couple questions here. First question, what do you think it would be like to experience this here at Grace Community? What do you think it would be like? I mean, just imagine for a moment. What if we really begin to see God in a supernatural way? You know, this is important to see. This is not something they did. This is not something they said, okay, what are the five things that we need to do for renewal? Okay, let's put a program together. They didn't do that. They didn't do that. They prayed. They got on their face. They opened their whole lives to God. And God poured out the Holy Spirit and He did it. So that's kind of freeing. This is not something we can work up. Like if we're like, okay, we're going to be this. And then, you know, we just, we give out. But this was a supernatural work of God's Spirit. What would that look like? Now, here's the second question. Do you want that to happen? Now, that's a vital question. And I've been wrestling with that personally all week. Because I think we got to look at that. I think we got to say, do I really want this? Because if God brings renewal, He disrupts your life. And that's part of the problem. I think, you know, just from personal experience here, I kind of want my life to kind of stay like it is. Anybody else feel that in your life? It's like, yeah, God, you can have my life, but uh, not really, right? I even think in our worship, you know, we want everything to kind of be what we've planned it to be. You know, we don't, we don't want anything unusual to happen in here, right? Right? We want to control things. Control's that big thing, right? But you know, if this is going to happen, what do we got to do? We got to give up control. We got to release that, release that control. We got to say, God, I'm scared to death, but I want you to bring renewal. I want you to do whatever you want to do. Now, what would happen? Let me just pose this. What do you think would happen if all of us began to pray and to say to God, I want you to do whatever you want with my life. I'm, I'm going to put it on the table. What if we were all to lift up our hands and open them to God? Just everything in our life that, you know, we're like this very naturally. And we just opened it to God and said, God, I want you to do whatever you want to do. Just come and do what you want. That's a scary prayer, but I just wonder what would happen if we did that. There's a big part of me that wants to see and find out. So again, this is not something we bring about. It's something God does. But what can we do? We can pray for it. In fact, God wants us to pray for it. You know, as you look at renewal in Scripture coming upon a people, it's always in response to this kingdom-centered, what Jonathan Edwards called extraordinary prayer. You know, we're beyond praying for my sick Aunt Sally's hangnail. You know, we're, we're praying for your glory, God, with boldness. You know, if you look at the renewal movements and, and uh, periods of revival throughout history, it's always preceded by prayer. And usually what comes before this kind of prayer is a real disruption of life. And I think, what a great time for us. You know, here we are. It's a daggum global pandemic. I don't want to miss this opportunity. 
You know, God's disrupted the whole world. What a great time to say, guess what? We're not in control. So God, would you come and do something in our day? I mean, it was, it was upheaval. It was affliction that led them to pray like this. Persecution broke out. Well, I think a pandemic would work. Or whatever you're working, walking through in your life, let's pray for revival. Let's say, God, come and do something in us. Renew us. Revive us. So let me stop there and just give us a few minutes to interact. And I'm really curious of what, what happens in you when you think about this supernatural working of God's people, uh, working of His Spirit in the church. What, what does it raise in you? What, what are you feeling as you think about this? I really appreciate the word. Um, so one of the places we hate to go, I mean, we don't like to go there ourselves. We don't want to, we don't really want to pray that prayer like God, whatever. But I think it's the place that gets really scary, at least for me, is as a parent. Mm-hmm. And what's the scariest prayer a parent can pray is whatever it takes in my kids' lives. Mm. Well, I, I've experienced a bunch of junk in my own life, lots of pain, lots of scars. And so as a parent, you know, I'm always holding tight and trying to do everything I can do to save my kids from that. But I, I, I fail to look at how God's worked in my own life, that what the things that had to happen in my life that caused me to see Jesus. And, um, I mean, this is just so true when we think about uh, how reluctant we are. Yeah. Sometimes how reluctant we are to even speak about Jesus. Yeah. In today's culture. And, honestly, I think because of all the different things that are going on, I think we are beginning to see some... some um, real push against Christianity, some persecution that's yeah. coming on, and um, and our tendency is to fight, yeah. rather than to, God, what is, what is it you want to, how do you want to use this in my life? Yeah. I've always yeah. had the sense, once I became a believer, that uh, we hold things very tightly, and God asks us to let those things go. Yeah. So, you open your hands, well, you open your hands this way. You think you're doing it, but you still have control. You have to turn them upside down. So it's the same sense of you saying, "Yeah, you know, what would it be like if we said, God, okay, here it is. Yeah. I, have, I, have, I don't do any of it. I don't have this. This is you, and how do you want the Holy Spirit to work in me first? And then how does that play its way out? Yeah, yeah. Thanks, Greg. Yeah, it's interesting that they're experiencing all that persecution. They get, didn't get together and say, we got to take a stand. We got to demand our rights. They didn't say that. They said, God, give us power and boldness to declare the gospel because this is our moment. So it's interesting that, you know, they spent so much time talking about their money and, you know, going through job stuff myself recently, you know, I certainly um, there's a lot resonating. And then I was just thinking, you know, if, if we're going through renewal, you know, 
it's it's all parts of your life. It's when you go to work, it's your ordinary life. And yeah. you know, that's is hopefully I'm starting a new job soon. That you know, what if I really spent every moment at work doing it for God's glory? Yeah. Well then I'm gonna do a better job. Then yeah. I'm gonna get a raise. And it's like, oh well, that's my raise, right? I can squirrel <laughs> I can squirrel it away or yeah. you know, and God'll get ten more percent or yeah. or whatever it is. But you know, what if I was working for God and you know, I was looking for that raise so that I could give it back to him. Yeah. Like all of it. You know? Yeah. Like there would just be, there's so many aspects of our life that that renewal uh, would work into. Yeah. I think. And then, so I just wanted to say that, but then I guess a, a question or asking for some encouragement, like it seems like this country and this world is under God's judgment mm-hmm. for many different things. And I'm not just talking about COVID. Yeah. Like I'm talking about the culture and, and God yeah. seems to be giving us up to ourselves in yeah. many aspects. So when we're looking for renewal and we want to change things, but yet we see, you know, so much judgment and deterioration of things, you know, I'm not sure if the world's getting better or getting worse before yeah. Jesus comes back. Yeah. But, you know, what words of encouragement would you have as, as we seek renewal Yet there's still so much brokenness, and we see brokenness even growing more at, yeah. at times. Yeah. Like what would you? How would you encourage? Yeah. You so, um, you know, it 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 seems like to me. I think it's very common to to hear Christians, especially in the Bible Belt, talking about things getting so bad, and you know, all things are getting awful. Things are getting bad. There's a sifting. There's all that. You know, all that kind of stuff. And it's kind of this kind of apocalyptic talk. And it kind of drives me up the wall because it seems like what's behind it is that this world has got to go down the tubes for Jesus to come back. And it's, it's like a pessimism. And I just think that the last thing believers should be is pessimistic. I think we ought to be optimistic because we know Jesus he owns the whole thing, and one day he's going to fill it with his kingdom. You know, so we know it's going to a very optimistic place. So I, I think part of the way that we see the, you know, the badness in the world and yet the, the goodness is that they're both growing together. You know, they're, they're, it's like, kind of like the wheat and the tares are growing at the same time. And, um, and I, I think we, whenever we think that... that it's just as bad as it's ever been. Well, I think just look at history a little bit. Like, it's been bad. Really bad throughout history, you know. And it's because it's filled with people. And, and it's under a curse. And it's broken. So, I think we've got to have a, uh, a realistic optimism. You know, of knowing, okay, because of the fall, horrible things can happen in this world. And we're going to go through incredible discouragements. But yet we're optimistic at the same time. Like we know things can go through these seasons of renewal and transformation and beauty. Um, and that we know ultimately that will be brought to fulfillment. So I think we've we got to have that optimism as we go. But also to know that sometimes hardship in our life is a blessing. You know, God brings affliction for His people in order to bring us into that place of renewal. And it's almost always that pattern because we don't do so good when life's good, right? When we're in wealth and we're in affluence, 
It's because of our flesh. What does our flesh do? Oh, this is because of me. We want to be independent. We want to be our own God. And so hardship puts us in that place of like, oh, I need you, God. It drives us back to God. So it's just really hard to live in affluence. It really is. Um, I might be processing out loud a little bit. Um, uh, yeah, thanks. Um, I, I've experienced the hardship of knowing that that's the only way I can get closer to Christ. But I think for me personally, still deep down, I'm like, is it going to be worth it for all that pain? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I think we can all identify with that, Lizzie. Which is really, um, really at the bottom, it's about faith. It's about trust. You know, I think we're all wrestling with that question. Like, can I trust your heart is good towards me, God? I think when the rubber meets the road, we're all at that place of saying, do I really believe you are going to work out my good for me in whatever I'm facing? So thank you for sharing that. Um, yeah, Lizzie, thank you. I feel like I've been really wrestling with that question recently and like over the past few years. So I just appreciate you expressing it. It often feels like, oh, I can't say this. Like, I can't say that there's a part of me that's like, really, God, are you really doing this yeah. for my good? So thanks for saying that. Um, and also, I just wanted to respond briefly to what you were saying. Um, I actually just started reading a book called Gospel Bound. I can't remember the author's name off the top of my head. But it is, like, directly addressing what you were just saying. He and his co-author are journalists who are believers. And um, I'm only a few chapters in, but I found it a big encouragement so far. Like, they, they're kind of looking at, like, how even in the midst of all our current, all the upheaval, what feels like maybe, you know, a more secularized culture here in the States, they kind of... Are, are looking at, hey, God is still at work in the world. It's so easy for us. I know for me, like, so often I get more, I take more, like, or, or accept the reality of the world based on the media or, or even only what I can see right around me. And it's always grim because that's what sells headlines. It's always grim. And so I think, like, that book has been encouragement. And I was even encouraged, like, Tom Grady has always encouraged me to read, um, was it, uh, The Faith of the Martyrs? What is it? The, oh, yeah, yeah. Voice of the Martyrs. Voice of the Martyrs. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Looking around and saying, like, we live in a little bubble. As much as we think the internet is, like, letting us see everything, we live in, we often, like, let ourselves live in a bubble where we're not seeing or talking about what God is doing. We, like, are afraid to talk about it. We're not seeking the, those truths and those stories out. So just, I think another, I was just really challenged recently, like, hey, God is at work. Um, so are we listening to the stories and finding and, and encountering the stories of how God is in fact renewing? Um, not through perfect people or like, or anything, but just through his church around the world. So um, I'd recommend that book, Gospel Bound, and then also Voice of the Martyrs or just other, you know, connecting with people who are just faithfully seeking to, to spread God's word and work. Yeah. Thank you for sharing. I, I do think um, 
you know, we are in, in our culture, we are seeing a decline of Christianity. You know, churches are shrinking. Church attendance is going way down everywhere across the board, every denomination, every area. The influence of Christianity in our culture is waning. We're seeing that happening. It's very disillusioning and it's very scary because we're moving from a time where the church had a great deal of influence. Now, I think all of that decline is our own fault. I would say that. But, uh, like you're saying, there's around the world, Christianity is exploding. It's just not in America. And we tend to be kind of centered on our own kind of place. But I'd say this, like, it, God can bring renewal here, and he has before. At the first great awakening, before the first great awakening, um, Christianity was on the sharp decline in America, and revival began to break out, and there was an explosion of Christianity in our culture. So I, I just want to say that, that like, you know, God is not, he, God is sovereign, but that doesn't mean he doesn't respond to us or want to respond to us. That's a part of his sovereignty. And so he wants us to say, no, we don't want this to decline. We want you to come and change this place. So we're going to call on you. And he wants us to do that. So I I just, I just don't want the church to be fatalistic and be like, oh, we're in decline. It's just going to happen. Let's circle the wagons. No, no. They weren't circling the wagons here. They were, when Holy Spirit comes with renewal, there's boldness. And, and that's what we need in this time. So let me close this in prayer. Um, <clears throat> Holy Spirit, we need you. We want to become more aware of you. We want to become of your, aware of your presence in our heart. Lord, we, if we're honest, so many of us are so dry right now spiritually. Um, the things of this world, like ball games and national championships and all these things are so much more important to us than the kingdom of God. And that is a picture of how desperately we need renewal. Father, would you pour out your spirit upon us? Would you come and renew our hearts? Would you awaken us? Would you open our eyes to see the beauty and the power and the love of Jesus and to see that it's better than life? Would you beautify your church? Bring about this kind of unity and connection and commitment and love to one another. Radical generosity. And Lord, move us out as this renewing instrument in the world. Lord, we want to be renewed and we want to offer up ourselves and our whole lives to you. Would you come and do with us whatever you want to do? In Christ's name we pray. Amen. <laughs>